If I could proclaim any message to the church, not to the lost world, but to the church, if I could proclaim, if I could announce a message to the church, any message, it would be to wake up, to wake up. Friends, the church today must wake up. We are in the last days. The book that we are studying begins by saying the time is near. And in these last days, the time is now critical. The mission is now urgent and much is at stake. And if I had a single message for the church today, that message would be, church, we must wake up. Now, I'll just tell you, man, I want to announce that. I want to share that. Uh, Sometimes I want to shout that, church, we need, we must wake up. Now, if you're here this morning and you're listening to that, uh, you may say, yeah, we need to wake up. Yeah, wake up. Uh, Some of you are looking at your neighbors already saying, man, that guy needs to wake up. But the question is, honestly, what does that mean? I say that. We agree with that. We need to wake up. But what does that honestly mean? Wake up to what? Wake up to the potential of the church. The church has tremendous potential. Is that what I'm talking about? Or, Or wake up to the programs of the church. We've got a lot of things going on. And we need to wake up for the programs of the church or wake up to participate in the church. Is that what I'm talking about? It is a call to get busy. I'll just tell you, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, What I'm talking about is that I want us to wake up to the Lord of the church, Jesus. And that is what I'm talking about this morning. I believe the church today needs to be reminded of Jesus. Now, I don't know how we get off track. I don't know how we get distracted, but the church today needs to be reminded of Jesus. We need to again see and consider and think about and glory in our Savior, Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what we have in Jesus. I think we need to commit anew to Jesus. And so that is the call to wake up and see Jesus. Let me tell you this. If we will do that, everything else will take care of itself. And so you're sitting there and you're thinking about these problems in life and you're thinking about these problems in the church and we're thinking about the problems in our culture today. I want to tell you this, if the church would remember Jesus, would look at Jesus, would see Jesus, everything else I believe would take care of itself. Church, wake up, remember Jesus, see Jesus. Today our message is entitled, A Living Church. A Living Church. Today we're moving into the third chapter, Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. A Living Church. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 3, beginning in the first verse, God's Word says this, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. 
Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we rejoice that we have hope today. We rejoice that in a messed up world, we have an anchor that holds today. We have a foundation that stands on solid ground today. Lord, I'm thankful we have a Savior. I'm thankful we have the forgiveness of sin in Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful for the church that you bless us with, that you place us in. Lord, I pray as the church today that we would have ears to hear and listen that we would have hearts to respond, feet to walk in obedience. I pray, Lord, that there is a movement from the hearing of the word of God today. Lord, I pray for some that will be listening in today, maybe in this room, maybe in some other way that doesn't know you. I pray that in the hearing of a risen Savior, in the hearing of the gospel of grace and the kindness of God, I pray that today they would trust you and they would receive you. They would walk in faith with their Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you are known today. I pray that you are glorified, that you are high and lifted up today. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today in our study of the Revelation, we move now to the fifth church that Jesus addresses through a message that was given to the Apostle John. Remember, this message was to an actual church. It was to a historical church. And at the same time, supernaturally, prophetically, it is given to us today in the church as well. And so I want to begin once again, and I want you to hear me when I say God is speaking to us today. God is speaking to us today. He is speaking to me. He is speaking to you. He is speaking to us in the church today. Now, I want you to be aware of that. I want you to be sure of that. This is not a lecture. It is not a college class. It is not the passing on of information. But I want you to be very aware this morning that in a study of the living word that is sharper and act, sharp and active than a double-edged sword is what the Bible says, that God is speaking to us today. God is speaking to you. It's, it's no coincidence that you're here. God has a message for you. And you say, well, I'm not sure about that. Listen, friend, be sure as we begin this morning, God is speaking to us this morning. Okay, let's go to our verses, starting again in verse 1. I'll read the verse. We'll come back and discuss it. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. The verse starts off and it says to the angel. Now we've discussed this previously. This is referring to the pastor of the church in Sardis. The message will go to the apostle John. It will be given, written and recorded and given to the pastors of these seven local churches. Well, it starts off 
to the pastor of the church in Sardis. Now, Sardis was a renowned city. It was a famous city, and really it was famous just for the fact that it was famous. Uh, I've never been to Beverly Hills. I don't know what the attraction is there, but I think in the same way it's a city that is famous just for being famous. Uh, at one time it had served as the capital city of the kingdom of Lydia. Uh, it was a wealthy city. It was known, in fact, that was part of, of the uh, claim of the city. It was known for the wealth of the residents. And so it's not an industrial city. It's not a city where, where other folks are found. It is a wealthy city. It is famous because of the wealth of its residents. Now, the city itself was built really on a ledge uh, about 1,500 feet above the surrounding area around it. Now, that was on all sides. Really, there's this lifted up plain. On that plain, about 1,500 feet above the ground around it was built this city. For that reason, it was considered safe from attack. They didn't bother with city walls. They had the ledge around the city. It was considered safe from attack. Well, the Bible says to the angel, to the pastor of the church in Sardis, write, he who has the seven spirits and the seven stars says this. Now, again, be sure to understand this is a picture of, this is a description of Jesus. Now, in our study, we've been blessed over and over again to see these descriptions of Jesus. They are really profound. Uh, they are really mind-boggling. But we see these pictures of the resurrected Christ. He has appeared to John. This is what John records. Well, this is now how Jesus describes himself. He says, he who has the seven spirits of God. Now, if you remember back when we started, we determined in chapter 1 this is referring to the Holy Spirit of God. Now, there are some translations, and they say holds. And the word there they use is holds. Uh, I actually believe the best translation is the translation that we have, and it says has. And so he doesn't hold the Holy Spirit of God. He has or he possesses the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I'll just go ahead and tell you, this is a deep revelation. This is a deep expression of the Trinity. Now we see that all the way through scripture. We see it here in these verses. Jesus is God, but Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, but the Holy Spirit is not Jesus. And so we see really a profound expression of the Trinity in this verse. The verse goes on and it says, Jesus has the seven stars. Now, again, remember, this is referring to the seven individual pastors of the seven specific churches. And so these letters are to seven churches. Well, we find identified seven pastors. And so this goes to, or this is referring to the one that holds, has, possesses the seven specific pastors. Now, let me just tell you, to me, that is a big deal, and I believe that's a big deal, and I believe that's a big deal for me to understand. I believe that's a big deal for us in the church 
to understand. The, the literal translation is Jesus has these pastors. He possesses, they are his pastors. Now, as we've seen so far, earlier we saw this, he administrates the church through his pastors. Uh, they are his under-shepherds. And the way that he administrates through them is the proclamation of the word of God. And that's exactly what we see going on here. Friends, we need to get that today. We need to be sure of that, understand that. Listen to me. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the shepherd of the church. And he has an under-shepherd who belongs to him and serves him in the proclamation of the word of God. Do you want to know who the pastor is? It's the one that he is called, that he is placed, that serves him in the proclamation of the word of God. That's who he is, and that is what he does. Now we have the message from Jesus. Jesus says this, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. Now I want to pause right here for a second. And I want to remind us, Jesus knows his church. He knows his church. He is not oblivious to his church. He is not unconcerned about his church. Jesus sees his church. He knows his church. He knows what's going on in the church. He knows what's not going on in the church. And he knows the heart behind both of those. Listen, our church, he knows. He knows what's happening here. He knows what ought to be happening here that's not happening here. He knows the heart behind all of those things. He is not oblivious to the church. He knows the church. He says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead, is what he says. Now, I want you to notice something. There's, there's several things to notice, but I want you to notice this. He has no praise for this church. That's got to be a tough thing. He has no praise for this church. The others, he has points of com commendation for the church. He brags on them for certain things that they are doing. But for this church, the church at Sardis, there is no such message. There's no such thing for them. He says, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Now, what that means is people say that they are alive. The general opinion is they are alive. Uh, their reputation is that they are alive. If you were to go around the community, if you were to ask folks, they would say that church is alive. That is a living church. That is their reputation. Have you noticed this? Today, more than any time in human history, and I believe that more than any time in human history, our world is appearance-driven. And I, I think that holds true in our day more than any previous day. In our day, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who people think you are. And that's the world that we're living in. So you watch today. People promote these personas, and they act like they're one thing, and they would let it be known to others that they're one thing, and they're living on their reputation. You ever watch Facebook? I think it's weird. I'm probably, 
probably a new generation of preachers that talks about Facebook. You ever watch Facebook? And there's people on there, and they don't look at them in here. And you read, and man, they look sophisticated. And you read that and think, ooh, that's a smart person. That, and look at the books they're reading. And they go to all the cool places. And they eat all the cool food. And they do all the great things. And they're always with the right people. <laughs> they're always with the right people. And, 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 and they're always helping people. And they got great advice. And they're giving to the poor and building houses. And, and you look at all that stuff on Facebook. But the problem is you actually know them. I went to school with them, man. They are a dud. That is a dud. And, and yet they have this persona. Today, listen to me, rare is the person, even in the church, who can do something and not tell everybody they've done something. I want us to be sure from the message today, listen to me very carefully. Christ is not concerned about your reputation. And let me tell you something else. Christ is not fooled by reputations. He says this, it is known that you're alive. It is accepted that you're alive. Everybody's believing that you're alive, but Jesus says, you are dead. Verse two, if some of you are mad, I'm sorry. Verse two, here's what he says. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Jesus says in verse 2, wake up. It literally translates, become awake. Now what that reveals is they were asleep. You were asleep. You're not awake. Jesus says, become awake. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain. Now, the Greek word for strengthen here, it means to make stand. It probably most literally translates to prop up, to stand up. Not everything in this church is gone. And so Jesus says, build up, strengthen, add support to what remains. There are some things that remain. Prop those things up. Strengthen those things. He says, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. The word for completed means made full. Jesus says to them, you have not finished, you have not fulfilled the things you were to do. Jesus says to them, you're not done yet. You haven't completed it. You're not finished. I was thinking about that. Do you know... The church won't be done until Jesus comes back for his church. Do you know that? I was trying to think, is there a church ever that gets it all done that says, we've got nine pages, checklist done, we're done. Is there a church that's ever going to be like that? Listen, there is no church that can afford to slow down. Can't we slow down? There's not a church that can afford to slow down. There's not a church that can afford to retire. There's not a church that's able to say, we've done what we're supposed to do and we are finished. As the church, we have a mission, we have a purpose, we have a job to fulfill because we have a message to preach, a truth to proclaim, and we are not done until Jesus comes for the church. Let me ask you this. I think this is going to be pretty awesome. 
What is a living church? What is a living church? A church that's actually alive. He says you're dead. What is a church that's alive? What is a living church? This morning, I'm going to tell you three things that a living church does. How do you know you're in a living church? How do you know you're not in a living church? I'm going to tell you three things that a living church does. Now, I want you to wake up. I want you to get this. The first one is this. A living church loves Jesus. A living church loves Jesus. Now, what that means is they know Jesus, and they love Jesus, and they know his word, and they love his word because it tells them of Jesus, and they are abiding in Jesus, and they are walking with Jesus. As they wake up and go through their day, they are considering Jesus. Do you know that's the thing about the church? It's not some convention somewhere that we belong to. It's not our reputation out in the world. It's not the programs that we put together. A loving, a living church loves Jesus. That's what they do. We don't have to get a committee together to decide that. We don't have to evaluate that. We don't have to, to go and see what a book says. A living church, what they do is they love Jesus. Friends, if you're saved, you're the church. How's your love for Jesus? How's your love for Jesus? Is it deep? Is, is it growing? Does it consume you? Has your love for Jesus changed you? Are you still trying to love the world too? Has your love for Jesus changed you? Has it driven you to his word? How are you going to love Jesus and not want to hear his word? How? Listen to me, friend. How is your love for Jesus? Is it the thing about you? Is it the thing that consumes you? Do you have a radical love for Jesus? Listen, how's your love for Jesus? People walk around and say, oh, the church. Oh, the church. How's your love for Jesus? For Christians, this ought to be the thing about us. Living church loves Jesus. Second thing is this. A living church serves Jesus. A living church serves Jesus. He has given us, as the church, a purpose. He has given us a mission, a mandate, and a living church serves Jesus. Now, it doesn't serve people. Now, it may look like that as an expression of carrying out what Jesus wants us to do, but we're not walking around trying to figure out how to please people. It doesn't serve the membership. It's not about what the members want. It's not the pastor. It's not what the pastor wants. A living church serves Jesus. It proclaims the truth of Jesus, holds up the truth of Jesus, defends the truth of Jesus. A living church serves Jesus. Wherever he leads, I'll go. A living church serves Jesus. Friends, if you're saved, guess what? You're the church. Here's the question. Are you serving Jesus? I'm talking to you. Are you serving Jesus? How are you serving Jesus? Can you give an answer? How are you serving Jesus? Let me tell you something. If you are saved, you have a gift 
to use in the church. That's what the Bible says. If you are saved, you have a purpose in the mission of the church. If you are saved, listen to me, you are needed and necessary in the movement of the church. Are you serving Jesus? Are you serving him today? How'd you serve him last week? Did you serve him on Tuesday? Are you going to serve him on Monday? Years ago, it's funny how fast you get able to say that. Years ago, I was in my lower 30s. I think I was 32, 33 years old. And, and some of y'all know the story. A friend of mine took his own life. Uh, other things are happening in my life at the same time. And there's a lot of things to consider. Sometimes we get to a place in life and there's a lot of things to consider. And at this place, I started considering, what do I believe? What do I believe? And then I started thinking, do I really believe it? Do I really believe it? And then this question became evident, what am I doing about it? What am I doing about it? And I came across this verse. I started reading my Bible. And I came across this verse, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. I'll read it to you. It says this, Now, little children, abide in him, Jesus, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. And I read that verse, and I thought about what that verse means. And I thought, you know, I, I do know Jesus, and I am saved. I believe he's my Savior. But sadly, that's making very little impact in who I am. And on that day, I started thinking, you know what? I'm afraid if Jesus were to come today, and if I were to be confronted with the Savior Jesus right now, I'd be like the one in this verse that would have to shrink back. And I'd, I'd have to somehow try to mix into the crowd. I, maybe if I got far enough back here, and maybe if I get 20 layers deep, they won't be able to, he won't be able to see me. And I'll have to look at my shoes. And for sure, I don't want to have to look him in the eye. And I'd have to approach him in shame. And on that day, I decided that's not how I want to meet Jesus. And I, I didn't know what that was going to mean. I didn't know what that was going to turn out as. But I decided when he comes, my Savior, who was beaten beyond the form of a man, you couldn't recognize who he was. When I see him, I don't want to have to look at my shoes and try to blend into the crowd. And so here's what I did. Carrie can tell you this. I went up to the church we were going to, and I signed up to drive the bus and I signed up to be on the soundboard, and I signed up to be a greeter in the morning and an usher in the evening. I signed up to be on the extended session workers in the nursery. I found out I don't like any of those things. <laughs> but I want to tell you this. Something inside of me was saying this. I'm going to serve my Lord. I'm going to serve my Lord. Listen to me. That is all of us. A living church serves Jesus. That's what we do when we understand who he is. A living church serves Jesus. Third, living church loves Jesus, serves Jesus. Third is this, a living church exalts Jesus, exalts Jesus. Now that word means to heave up. That's literally what it means. A living church heaves up 
Jesus. Lifts up Jesus. Praises, brings glory to Jesus. Let me tell you something, friends. When a church loves Jesus and when a church serves Jesus, people won't be talking about that church. They'll be talking about Jesus. That's how it works. They won't be saying, oh, look at that church. Look at the great members they have. They'll be saying, look at the Savior of that church. Oh, he must be awesome. His name is Jesus. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Verse 3. So remember what you have received and heard. And keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. All right, I'm going to tell you this morning, I believe verse 3 is the key. I think verse 5 is more awesome, but I believe verse 3 is the key. In verse 3, he says, wake up, become awake. He says, repent. The word repent means come back, come back, turn around. And then here's the key. He says this, remember what you have received and heard. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. He says, wake up, repent, remember what you have received and heard. This is the problem in the church. You want to know what the problem is? This is the problem. And it is the answer for the church. You want to know what the answer is? This is the answer for the church. The problem is somehow we have forgotten. Somehow we've become apathetic. Somehow in the church today we've gone to sleep. And the answer is to remember. Jesus says what we've received and what we have heard. Remember what we've received and what we've heard. All right, I want to start off with what we've heard. I'm going to tell you this morning what we've heard. What have we heard? I want to start off with what we heard. Now, you're going to have to wake up. If you're not awake, you're probably about to wake up. If you've got a seatbelt, buckle it right now. What have we heard? What have we heard? He says, remember what you've heard. What have we heard? Listen to me. We have heard the good news of a God who loves. He loves you. We've heard the good news of a God who loves. We've heard of a gracious Savior, the hope of sinners. Listen, you need a Savior? You have a Savior. He's the hope of sinners. We have heard of a Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. I love that, but I love it more when I understand He takes away my sins. We have heard of a cross where redemption is bought. We have heard of an empty tomb where death was conquered. We have heard of a risen lamb. We have heard of a reigning king. We have heard the good news of great joy that born for us in the city of David was our Savior who is Christ the Lord. We have heard the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. We have heard, church, how have we heard? Oh, how do we forget what we've heard? But if that's not enough, let me catch my breath and I'll tell you what we've received. That's what we've heard. Let me tell you what we've received. Sorry sinners like me. Undeserving sinners like me. Let me tell you what we've received. And maybe we walked in here today, maybe we've forgotten what we've received. I want to tell you what we've received. 
We have received the forgiveness of our sins. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, listen to me, sinner, we in Jesus Christ, we have received the forgiveness of our sin, every last one. We have received redemption, and it was paid not in silver and gold, but in the precious blood of Jesus. We have received restoration in Jesus. We have received adoption into the family of God. I don't care if you love your family or don't love your family. I want to tell you, in Jesus, you've been adopted into the family of God. You have received peace with God. We alienated ourselves in our rebellion against him. We have received fellowship, friendship with God. We have received joy that abounds, joy that wells up inside of us. We have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You start to say, well, I think there's a limit. There is no limit to the grace we have received. We have received a future without end. We have received a promise that was filled and sealed in the Holy Spirit of God. I have received a room in the Father's mansion. I didn't earn it, but he secured it for me in the cross of Calvary. I have received eternal life. I have received a new name to go along with my new status. And I want to tell you more than that. The Bible says Jesus has given us himself. You have received Jesus. You've received Jesus. Oh, church, how we have forgotten what we've received. Verse 4. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I think it's interesting. Our camp's going to talk about it this week. This whole area, the whole region was called Lydia. The whole region, all these cities, they were known for the production of and the dyeing of and the trade of garments, of clothing. Well, Jesus uses an example that they could understand. Jesus uses an example they could see. And so he says here, some of you have it stained, some of you have it soiled, your garments. Now what he means by that is he says, some of you here in your church, you've refrained from the sin of the culture around you. You've refrained from the temptation and the sin of the, the world that is around you. White was a sign of purity. And Jesus says, they will walk with me in white. Now I want you to notice this over and over in these letters, we see the church is to be different. We're not to look like the world. We're not to melt into the world. We see in these letters the church is not to compromise. We're not to take on the shape of the world that we exist in. We're to be different. Well, in verse 4, he says there's some of you there who haven't compromised, who haven't taken on the sins of the sorry world around you, and he praises those folks. Verse 5. Verse 5 is an awesome verse. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. I want to read that again. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, 
And I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. I want you to be sure verse 5 is not a threat. There's some folks that read verse 5 and they say, oh, you can lose your salvation. Oh, your name can be blotted out. Verse 5 is not a threat. Verse 5 is a promise. Now, to the church that is standing in the end days, to the church that is in these hard days, this is a word of encouragement from Jesus, the resurrected Christ. Now, listen to me. It is hard to stand in these days. It's hard to face the pressures of these days. It's hard to stand and go this way when the world's going the opposite way. And so this is a word of encouragement from Jesus, the resurrected Christ. Now listen to me. Remember, if you are saved, hear me, you will overcome. If you're saved, you will overcome. Not in your power, not in your strength, not in your ability to never fail, to never mess up. That doesn't exist but you will overcome in the same power that you are saved by. And so you will overcome in Christ. In Christ, and because of Jesus Christ, if you have trusted Christ, listen to me, believer, you will overcome. Well, what if my faith gets weak? What if I enter into sin? What if I mess up? What if I'm not strong enough? Listen to me. By faith in Jesus Christ, in the power of Jesus Christ, if you have trusted him, you will overcome. Now watch this. And he who overcomes, those that have trusted Christ, and he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. I want you to see this. Because of the forgiveness of our sin, and I don't care how great your sin is, I don't care how public your sin is, I don't care how private and well hidden your sin is. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, You're wearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As a robe, you wear the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That means there's no more sin. There's no more stain of sin. There's no more shame and regret of sin. There's no more guilt that you have to worry about in the depth of the night. We are robed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's what it says. And then it says, this is my favorite part. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. Jesus says, I will not erase his name from the book of life. Listen to this. In the ancient Roman and Greek culture, there was something called, let me me try to say it, Domnatio Memori. Domnatio Memori. In the Greek culture, the Roman culture, that is called the condemnation of memory. And let me explain this to you. What happens is, before a person was executed for their crime, could have been the crime of treason against Rome, it could have been the crime of murder. Before they were executed for their crime, the Roman Senate would call for the person to be removed from all public records. And so that means this person's been condemned as guilty, they're about to die for their crime, and so the Roman government would wipe out their birth records and their titles, and their deeds, and their public claims. Because of their sin, they were wiped from the record as if they never existed. 
And for this person, it was the ultimate dishonor. They would do it before they were executed. They would do it where they knew it had happened, and they would wipe them away as if they never existed. It was to say to the person, you held no value. It is to say to the person, you lived your life and you served no purpose. And because of your guilt, because of your sin, our only remembrance of you will be of your dishonor. I want you to see what Jesus says here. Jesus says here, in spite of your sin and because of your faith, your record is wiped clean. Your shame will be removed. Your sin is removed and remembered no more. But Jesus says, but your name, your name is going to be written in permanent ink, written in the Lamb's book of life. And once it is written, it will stand. Once it is written, it will testify to your righteousness with God, provided through Jesus to the glory of the Lord. The world says because of your sin, it's going to wipe out your name. Jesus says in his grace, he's going to wipe out your sin and he's going to write down your name. Praise the Lord. The verse ends and says this, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus will be exalted above the earth and on the earth and below the earth. Jesus is the name that ought to be exalted, but I want you to see what's going to happen here. Jesus says, and I will confess the overcomer's name before my father and before his angels. Let me tell you what that's going to look like. In glory, condemned in our sin, guilty of our rebellion, but now forgiven in his grace and pardoned in his love. Jesus himself will be ushered in and we're as guilty as guilty can be and we're condemned, we've earned our punishment and we're gonna be ushered in and Jesus before God the Father on the throne of glory. Jesus there before all of the angels of glory. If you've accepted Jesus, listen to me, you can put your name in this blank. He's gonna say, Toby, Approved, accepted, adopted, bought in my blood, and he is mine. Did you hear that? You can put your name there if you've trusted Christ, and I don't care what your past is. I don't care what sin you've walked through. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, you're going to walk in, and before God the Father on the throne, before all the angels of glory, Jesus is going to say, they're mine. I purchased them in my blood. I've forgiven them in my grace. They're mine. They're mine. And he confesses our name. Praise the Lord. And he who overcomes will be thus clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Verse 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wake up. Remember Jesus. See Jesus. Remember what we've heard of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. Remember what we've received in Jesus, if you have an ear, let them hear. Wake up, wake up, see Jesus.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come, and I marvel at my Savior. I marvel at his grace. I marvel at his power. I marvel at his forgiveness. I marvel at his love. Marvel that he would forgive me, that he wants me. Marvel, Lord, the cross that he suffered, shed his own blood to purchase us back. A people for his own possession. Lord, I pray that today we have seen you, and I pray that we've been reminded of you, and I pray that we've heard of you. And Lord, I pray that that wells up in our, in our souls, in our minds, in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, we'd be changed in our, in our remembrance of you. And I pray that it would bear impact in how we talk and what we do and how we serve and how we love you. And Lord, I pray for some that may be listening today that don't know you that don't know such love, that don't know such grace. I pray that in the hearing of that Savior and of that promise that today they trust you, turn to you, that any hindrance would be removed. Lord, we come and we just tell you, we are in awe of you. We exalt you. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. I want to tell you, as awesome as God's word is, it is preached for a result. It is preached for a decision. And I want to tell you there's a couple decisions to make here today. First is this. If you've never trusted Christ, he loves you. If you've never trusted Christ, maybe you say, well, I don't know if I have or not. I don't know. I heard things when I was a kid. I remember I made, I went down, but I'm not sure I understood. Listen, if you're not sure today, settle it today. There is a Savior and he loves you today. He's paid for your sin on the cross of Calvary. It's finished today. He stands as the risen, resurrected Savior. The Bible says, if you'll believe in him, Trust in him as your Savior, the remedy for your sin. The Bible says this, professing with our mouth what we believe in our heart, you shall be saved. If you never trusted Christ, do it today. He loves you. His grace is offered to you today. Trust Jesus today. Maybe you're here and you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it. Come and unite together. We'll serve him. We'll serve his purpose till he comes again. Maybe you're here and you've made a decision, but you've never fallen in believer's baptism. It's always after the point that we're saved, not as part of our salvation, testifying to the Savior of our salvation, testifying to who we are in Christ. Maybe that's your decision. Maybe one of those is speaking to you today. Maybe you're here and you're a believer today. Maybe you're here and you're you're a Christian today, and you'd say, you know what? I needed to remember Jesus today. And Lord, help me to remember him tomorrow. And it needs to impact all the areas of my life and how I love him and how I serve him. And maybe that's your decision today. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation in just a moment. God is speaking to you. I'll be here at the front. If you have a decision to make, you come. I'll meet you here. If you need more information, you come. We'll settle it today according to God's word. Maybe you want to come pray at the front here. Maybe pray for this camp. Dads, maybe you want to come pray for your families. Come in humility and pray. Nothing's too big, nothing's too small for our Savior. You come. As we stand and sing, if you have a decision to make, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here.